0: Everybody and welcome into another episode of the Lions Edge Podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. I am your host Chase Kitty. Late week episode, of course, we had the uh, early playoff reaction earlier this week, and now we come to the precipice of the playoffs. It is Friday. I'm recording this Thursday evening, so you are listening to it Friday or Saturday. Two NFL games on Saturday. Three NFL games on Sunday, one on Monday night, and of course, if you're with me, down under on the hard court, we've also got the Australian Open uh, that's coming to us like Sunday night, U.S. time, Sunday, and then early throughout the week, we'll have the first couple of rounds down there as well. So lots to get to, lots of bets. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Australian Open bets, uh, some first round looks that I like some futures positions that I like, and the NFL bets that I am ultimately going to be pulling the trigger on. But first, as promised on Twitter earlier this week, got a guest for this episode. It is a good one, Pamela Maldonado from Yahoo Sportsbook. Uh, I have promised you guys in the past I am not going to bring on a guest every week just to have a name attached to every episode. I try to look for people I really think bring value to the conversation and really know what they're talking about. I'm not really interested in the hot take artists. I really like Pamela's stuff. She is a must-follow, especially if you're a tennis person like I am. Really good analysis. She blends the sport and the odds really, really well. I think she's more of a sports kind of sports better than I am. As we know, I'm a little more focused on the marketplace. She tracks more toward the actual betting of tennis matchups or football matchups. So we come at it from slightly different places, but I still think she does really good work. And I was really excited to get her on this episode. Uh, So we do about 15 to 20 minutes, mostly on tennis. But I ask her a couple of NFL playoff questions here at the end. So, today's podcast, my conversation with Pamela, and then I'll circle back around at the end to offer some additional thoughts on the Australian Open, some first-round bets that I like, and the NFL playoff games that I am betting. First, here's my conversation with Pamela. All right, really excited to have on the show today Pamela Maldonado from Yahoo Sportsbook, uh, somebody I really respect, especially in the tennis betting space. Really, really excited to have you on, Pamela. How are you doing today? How are you feeling about the Australian Open and NFL playoffs ahead of us?
1: It is Thursday when we are recording this. I am super excited because Australian Open kicks off on Sunday our time because it is in Australia, and so I am more amped than ever because after looking at the draw, it is going to be a really fun tournament. There's a lot of interesting matchups. This could definitely be a wild, wild tournament where we get some upsets. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it came quick.
0: <laughs> it did. It feels like the U.S. Open. We were just in Flushing Meadows a few weeks ago. I, I think broadly, I want to start for people that I bet a lot of tennis. I think you bet a lot of tennis. For people that maybe are listening to this, don't bet a ton of tennis. How does your approach change from just a regular tour draw versus betting a Grand Slam tournament? like What are the nuances there that you're looking for?
1: Betting tennis can be very intimidating because there's not, the difference between American sports and tennis is tennis is played around the world. So a lot of people maybe don't fall in love with tennis as much as I do because they're playing in Europe, they're playing in Australia. So they always wanna watch what they bet, right? Well, you don't really get that opportunity if you're betting tennis, especially if they're on a 15 hour time difference. So first and foremost, I highly recommend to watch the game of tennis. You have to watch these players. You have to know what their tendencies are, whether it's a clay surface, a hard court surface, the grass. It just everything comes into play um, early in the year, later in the year. Tennis is played 12 months out of the year. So you have to really see which player has rhythm, which one doesn't. But my style of betting is vastly different in a best of three tournament compared to that of a best of five. In a best of three, you definitely can call for some more of those upsets. I'm looking for more game spreads and game totals, match totals, as opposed to in a major, it's a best of five tournament. I am looking for money line parlays. I am comfortable betting some of those big time money lines like Novak Djokovic, a minus three, four, five, six, seven, a thousand to win, pairing that up with something else. But my strategy specifically for betting majors is by doing a two team parlay more often than not. And that's one of those parlays is those legs in the parlay is my this is absolutely not going to lose whether it's Novak Djokovic just to win or for him to win uh, in three sets or b- in four sets or better and then pairing that with something that has a little bit more risk like um, well I do like Tiafo in this matchup but he's only a minus 200 favorite well I don't want to pay minus 200 for something that has a little bit more volatility so I'm going to pair that volatile leg with something that is solidified. I believe in it. And if you kind of stick with that strategy, you're going to find that you have some success in betting.
0: Yeah, that's a good strategy. You take a staple and then you add in something that it's a little less safe, but still you feel pretty good about. You can get some decent ROI on that. I want to look at some of the quarters in both the men's draws and the women's draws. I'll start with the very first quarter on the men's draw. Really interesting here because this is where Nadal is. He is seated as the number one overall player in the draw, but he's not actually favored to win his particular quarter uh, Medvedev is he lost to Francis Tiafo in the fourth round of the U S open since then one in five in matches that he's played since then. If you look at the guys he's played against, those are respectable losses. It's a lot of Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul Felix, like guys that it's, it's not, a, you know, those aren't bad losses, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like he has the form. He's a little bit older. We know that when he's not right, he doesn't play well in these matches, it's a total health thing with Nadal. Uh, When you look at that quarter, are you looking at Adal, are you looking at Medvedev there at the favorites slot, or is it somebody else that's a little further down the table?
1: Like if you're looking at just the straight facts and look at this draw, and it is a pretty tough quarter. It is still most likely going to be Nadal Medvedev. This could be a 2022 Australian Open final rematch. Nadal has reached five Australian Open finals. He's 19 and six. I don't. He, we we came into this the exact scenario last season, and we're like, well, Nadal has no chance. And then he went off and w- ended up winning the entire thing. So it is the biggest mistake to completely write off Nadal right off the bat. You want to see him. Yes, everything that you have said is a valid case for fading him. He has a really tough draw draw right out of the gate playing against a new up-and-comer player in Jack Draper. That could definitely be testy, but let's remember, this is still a best of five, and that largely comes into play when you're playing against some of those less experienced players. So I believe that Nadal is going to get through just fine, at least through that part. Um, But what I'm more interested in is his potential matchup here against Francis Tiafoe, I would be interested in backing Tiafo either 14-1 to win this quarter, or you would probably get better odds if you instead did a Moneyline rollover parlay because Tiafo, looking at his draw, he's likely to be an underdog in almost every match that he has, which would give you probably better odds than the 14-1 you're getting right now. But Tiafo had a really strong second half of the 2022 season. He lost to Carlos Alcaraz in the semifinal of the US Open. He pushed Alcaraz to five sets, two tie breaks, and that was after beating Nadal after beating Rublev, he made the finals in Tokyo. He is in rhythm right now because he did end up playing the United Cup this month. So my underdog for the to win the first quarter would be Francis Tiafo. He definitely could end up being in a spot where he faces Nadal again, who I would hope to see Tiafo. The only problem for me is if Tiafo slips and he falls to Karen Kachanov, potentially in the round before, then this is very likely to be a Nadal-Mevidev rematch.
0: You know, the other quarter I really like, I want to circle back to Djokovic in just a second, but the other quarter I really like is that final quarter in the men's draw. Uh, Zverev sitting there at 650, last four Australian Open tournaments he's played in. He's made it to the round four, made it to the round four, quarterfinal, semifinal. So he has these deep runs in him when they go down to Melbourne. How do you feel about Zverev at 650 to win that quarter? Is there anybody else you're looking in down at the bottom of the draw?
1: I'm not at all at this point interested in backing Alexander Zverev. Right, if this was, if that injury that he faced where he tore a couple of ligaments in his ankle. He was out for a few months. He's just now getting back into the rhythm of things. His serve is still there, but his forehand and the rest of his game is a little bit lacking. This is a best of five. We don't yet know, and he hasn't played a major in a really long time because of that injury. So we don't know what his fitness is like. He may be able to get through the first round, first couple of rounds, but this is a two-week tournament, and you really need that fitness to come into play. So I'm not interested in backing Zverev, maybe in a match-to-match situation, but not in a futures market. This is going to be this quarter. This fourth quarter is the most fun for me. It's must-watch TV. You have a lot of the young players. You have Berrettini, Matteo Berrettini, Casper Rude, Taylor Fritz, um, Jensen Brooksby. This is very matchup dependent quarter. Fritz is one of the players that I'm interested in targeting, but he's 9-6 and six here at the Australian Open. However, this is also a different Fritz. He's probably looking to make some new data points. He's looking to make new strides in his game. Casper Rude, he's a player that typically crushed on clay court well he made a lot of strides on hard court last season he made it to the finals in miami made it to his first major final at the u.s open mm-hmm. losing to alcaraz in four but we haven't really seen casper Rood since he played he did play the atp finals and the united cup but he's maybe coming into this tournament with short on reps out of rhythm berrettini on the other hand is a little bit more interesting to me he was also out for a little while from injury has been gaining some of those reps back. He played really well in the United Cup. And what I saw from him in that tournament is catching my eye. You can tell that he's trying to make improvements in the weakest part of his game, which is that backhand. He's coming over the top more as opposed to just slicing it. He would just slice, 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 try to get away with it and and use his forehand and his serve to overpower his opponents. You can't do that when you get into majors. So you can tell that he's trying to adapt his game. It's just, is it going to be enough to get through this quarter? So I don't really have a wager that I like for the fourth quarter because it really is wide open. And I would be looking to match to match instead for the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, Berrettini really interesting. He's like diet and for me in that when he plays, when he's healthy, because he misses the French Open last year and he misses Wimbledon. But when he's played, I think the last seven, five or seven Grand Slams he's been in, like he, he makes runs to the quarterfinals or quarters. later. So the, the ROI is there. I think he's plus 550 in that quarter right now. Maybe it's worth like an early buy, and then then you've got some some in-draw stuff later that you can do game to game or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about Djokovic before we move on to the women's draw. He is obviously the favorite in, in this tournament. He's a huge favorite in, in his quarter. I think he's minus 250 to win his quarter. This is the revenge spot for him, right? I, from his perspective, oh, he yeah. probably feels pissed off. Like he got robbed by not being able to play in last year's draw. Is there anybody in the macro of this tournament, if you're looking at the full Futures Championship market, is there anybody you would even think about playing against him, or is this Djokovic's tournament to lose?
1: So we're not talking about his quarter, we're talking about if it's not Djokovic to win the Australian Open, then who is it?
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think his quarter is a foregone conclusion, right? I don't think anybody...
1: Well, I don't know, I wouldn't be so quick to say that.
0: Okay, give it to me
1: then. I'm really interested in Djokovic's potential matchup against Holger Rune in the quarterfinal. Um, Holger Rune, Djokovic, he came back last season. He was probably one of the least repped players on tour, still ended up remaining in the top 10. But as little reps as he did have, he still went on to tear. He ended up winning like 15 of his last matches played in the second half of the year, but he had one loss. And that was to Holger Rooney, the 19-year-old from Denmark. It was a really huge breakout year for Rooney. So I'm interested to see, can he continue that into the 2023 year? And it all started with pushing Matero Berrettini. we talked about how good he is pushing him to 3 sets at Indian Wells, he started then we really started to get a glimpse of his potential with the title win in Munich, included a straight set win over Alexander Zverev, but then if you fast forward to a few tournaments, he pushed Kasparu to 4 sets after defeating Shapovalov Tsitsipas. And then of course, it was in Paris where he showed that he has a really high potential to play these top players. Because he has a complete game. He has that aggression. He knows when to go for it. And he has no quit. He wants to give you everything he has in the tank. And it showed that's going to be the major test for uh, Djokovic. Except, I always mention, this is a best of five. So now can Holger Rune use some of those correct shot, shot selections in a longer match? Plus, the one problem for me is that since winning Paris in October, Rune hasn't really played much. He's played only one tournament this month, and he lost. So he's not coming into this with some rhythm. So yes, I do agree that Djokovic, this is his tournament to win, absolutely. This is his quarter to win. I'm really interested still in Holger Rune. If he makes it that far, he's coming, he has rhythm, built up rhythm. That can be a very interesting match. But now if you're asking me, if it's not Djokovic to win the entire tournament, then who is it going to be? Oh, and it kind of pains me to say this because I've done this year before and it didn't come to fruition. I'm going to put my money on Stefano Sitsipas, 14-1. Novak has a 10-2 record over Stefano's, but uh, Sitsipas is showing in his in his head to head that he is getting closer and closer and he's inching his way towards defeating Djokovic. Five sets at the 2020 Roland Garros, five sets at the 2021 Roland Garros. Slow yes, that is a slow court, but if you look at the 2022 ATP Finals, uh ATP Paris, Tsitsipas almost won that match. It was a third set tiebreak. Tsitsipas is getting close. He has the weapons. He's making improvements in his game. He has a really solid forehand. Great serve. If he can just improve on a little bit more variety in his game, which is what you need to defeat somebody like Djokovic, he can get it done.
0: Really interesting women's draw on the other side of this tournament. Uh, Iga is basically uh, her or the field in her quarter. The second quarter is absolutely packed with contenders. It's probably the most interesting quarter of any of the eight quarters across both the men's and the women's single tournament. Uh, the third quarter is totally wide open. I have no idea what to do there. Uh, what what draws your eye on, on the women's side of this tournament in, in terms of betting opportunities or just tennis that you think is going to be interesting and that you know you want to watch?
1: If I had to pick one woman to win the Australian Open, I would have to go with Anja Um She's at the battle, bottom half of the draw. She has a winning record against uh, one of her toughest opponents in that quarter, which would be Pagula. She has a full core game. Uh, she's not. She wouldn't end up having to face and She has the slice. She has the net game. She has all of what Ash Barty made her a threat. So Anjibor also has those qualities as well. She has a very favorable draw. Sabalenka could probably be a competitive matchup. That's maybe like more of a 50-50. But if you're, getting, if you're looking at anybody not named Ego Swiatek, I would have to look at Anjibor. And I actually don't like Swiatek in this tournament. This is, if you're looking at each quarter, she has one of the most difficult quarters, one of the most difficult draws on the lady side. Potential quarterfinal on ma- matchups could end up being Coco Gauff, Zhang, Badosa, Ostapenko. It's just a very difficult draw. And Swiatek is potentially dealing with a shoulder injury, so we don't know how what her health is like right now. In a very difficult draw, I would be looking further down the board.
0: Before we let you go, because I know you got a hard out here coming up, I did want to ask you about, of course, the NFL playoffs are also this weekend when the board gets shrunk down to six games. What's the level of action you like in your card? How many spots are you looking for? And then of those spots, what are the games, what are the matchups that you really like this weekend that you know that you're going to bet or maybe you've already even gotten money down on?
1: Well, when it comes to the NFL, the number one thing that I have for myself is be disciplined and I only wager my best bets. That's like so sometimes more often than not, I end up having just one ticket every Sunday, just one ticket, my best bet. And that's it. Now, the last few weeks, I have added a little bit more and I've played a little bit more player props. But for this week, because I mean, it's the NFL, you're talking about some of the sharpest lines in sports betting. And because there's only six games, they're going to be even sharper. (laughs) So I am making sure that if I whatever my best bet is that I love it and I'm going to stick with it. And as of right now. I could probably only say that the Giants plus three is the only thing that's calling out to me. And I know it's going to be a favorite, uh, a favorite underdog to be wagering because you're fading the Vikings. But the New York Giants have one of the best against the spread teams in the NFL. They're 13 and four against the spread overall, 10 and two against the spread as an underdog. And Daniel Jones has been really good as a quarterback. He's had back-to-back games, throwing at least 71% completion. He's had only one interception in his last six games. That matters to me because I need a quarterback that's going to keep his head on straight, not turn the ball over, and you're going up against literally the worst defense amongst all the uh, remaining playoff teams in the league, and that's the Minnesota Vikings. They are 30th in yards allowed per play, we have seen Daniel Jones and this Giants offense they produced in that first matchup against the Vikings just two weeks ago over 400 yards of offense. That is the best that they have had all season, and it came against the worst defense. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to replicate that. I love the Giants catching the points plus three.
0: So I know you and I are both friends with the BetMGM tonight, guys. I was on it earlier this week, and I think you were on it earlier this week. Nick Ashu told me the exact same thing. He likes the Giants for a lot of the reasons you like the Giants. So I'd ask you the same thing I asked him. Does it make you a little bit nervous that they feel really popular this week? That, that it's such a trendy underdog spot?
1: It always does, because every, if you see every, the entire world on the same pick as you are, then are you, you're you not seeing anything special. But at the same token, I'm very much into a strength versus weakness. And you want to give me the biggest weakness in a team, and that's that defense? I'm going to go ahead and fade them every time. And there's a reason why the Vikings, they may be in this playoff situation, but they have won every single one of their games, 11, 12 wins that they've had more than only two of them have not been by less than one touchdown or more. Um, so you're talking about a team that just doesn't win by margin, that usually plays from behind. Brian Dable is a coach that I trust in a situation. If it's a high-pressure situation, I mean, if you're talking about a two-minute drill, if you're talking about proper clock management, knowing when to be aggressive, I'm going to trust the better coaching staff, and that's with Brian Dable.
0: All right, Pamela, where can uh, where can the good people of the Lions Edge and MGM find all your good work?
1: Yeah, absolutely, you can see uh, every article, every video at the Yahoo Sportsbook on Twitter or on the Yahoo Sportsbook app on the on Yahoo Sports, um, and then Football Fit Thirty Five on Instagram if you like women who like to deadlift.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right, appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really respect your tennis caps and everything. So uh, you've, you've been a uh, somebody I've wanted to have on for a while. Really happy to, to talk to you here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Pamela for coming on the show. Really appreciate her insight. She had kind of a limited time. I, we couldn't get into absolutely everything I wanted to talk about. I, I would have loved to have gone quarter by quarter, number by number, and, and really like break down every possible angle. But that show would be an hour and a half long. And you know, not everybody has an hour and a half laying around. Uh, Pamela's a busy gal. And she's got, uh, she's got lots of other uh, projects going on and shows that want to talk to her. So I appreciate the time she could give me. I do want to circle back to some of the things I couldn't necessarily get into with her. And just going frame by frame here. Quarter number one of the men's draw. Really the dynamic here, I think, at the top is what you want to pay attention to. It's Medvedev at plus 110 to win the quarter. And then it's Nadal at the longer price. The idea... That Nadal, the reigning winner of the tournament, is not favored to win his own quarter, even though he's the number one seed in this particular draw. I think that's very telling. Uh, so I kind of, kind of a disagreement here with with Pamela. I she's right to say uh, you never want to count out Nadal. I uh, certainly I lost my fair share of money betting against Nadal in the first half of last year. Just waiting for the, you know, waiting for the downfall, waiting for the drop off, and it never came, and I lost several bets waiting for it. So she is correct, bet against Nadal at your own peril. But I am actually going to go ahead and bet here against Nadal. I'm on Medvedev at the plus 110 in the first quarter. Quarter number two is interesting, uh, and, and we, I didn't get into this at all. I, I totally bypassed uh, this particular quarter. Cameron Norrie. Cameron Norrie looks. Awesome right now. He had a great 2022. Uh, he, you know, sort of pushes his way toward this top 10 echelon. He's available at six to one right now at BetMGM to win this quarter. The problem is, if seeding holds, he's gonna play Felix in round four, and Felix owns him five to one head to head, three straight set wins in 2022 alone. Nori has never been past round three in Melbourne. So Cameron Nori plus 600 is an option I like, but only if you can kind of get comfortable with the idea that he needs to play somebody other than Felix in that potential round four matchup. Because if Felix makes it there, Felix is probably going to beat him. Now the thing with Felix is he's he's so up and down at times, Like he could get upset in the second round and then Cameron nori has got a straight shot. So I think probably what I'm looking at doing is is Cameron Norrie six to one future here, and then if it gets to a Felix v Nori round four match, I'm probably going. It, it's not a true hedge because then you know the winner still has to go on and actually win the quarterfinal to win their quarter. But I'm probably gonna take like a Felix game spread spot there, or or maybe like a Felix uh, minus one and a half sets kind of thing, because uh, I, I feel like that would be a pretty safe bet in that spot as well not really interested Uh, I I think Sitsipas is in this quarter as well he's actually the favorite Um, I I, and has a nice like all around game and and again as Pamela said like he's been making strides he's been getting closer it just feels like he's always like kind of hanging around but never the guy that fully seizes control of the tournament he's a great tour player he's gonna go win a whole lot of you know ATP 500 kind of tournaments but I don't I don't know how much I trust him in these big draws like this. He just hasn't proven to me that he can really be that dude. Quarter three, this is where Djokovic comes out of. He's minus 250 in this quarter. I don't know how you bet into this quarter. I mean, unless you really feel like Djokovic doesn't have it, I don't know how you could possibly... I just think he's the rage he's going to have to win this tournament, to, to come out on top in this draw. I would never think about going against Djokovic at this spot. So this is just a total pass for me, and, and I'm not going to be, be involved in this quarter at all. Zverev I still think is interesting because if he is healthy uh, at plus 650, like that's a good ticket to have. Casper Rude, not interested in Casper Rude at all. I think he's totally priced out because of his U.S. Open performance. I mean, he's a clay player. He's not a guy that's awesome on hardcourt. Uh, so the, the fact that I'm getting a guy that's not on his best surface, and I have to pay a premium because he happened to go on a run at the U.S. Open, just not interested in that at all. Tommy Paul at 16-1 to in this quarter, I think is pretty interesting. Berrettini, I talked about when he's healthy, he wins his quarter the last couple years. That's the history of Berrettini. He either drops out of the tournament at the last minute because he's not healthy, or he wins his quarter. So, 550 for Berrettini to win the bottom quarter of the men's draw. You could certainly do a lot worse. Straight bets I like in round one. Michael Amir at minus 110 is interesting. I think John Millman playing as a wild card. He'll obviously have uh, the home crowd behind him at plus 105. Uh, one that I really like, Constant Lestian, uh, who's this French player that is uh, kind of outside the top 50 and... Not really a really well-known commodity. He's playing extremely well of late. He's going on a run right now this week. Uh, so these these sort of warm-up tournaments that are across Australia and other places, uh, one of them is in Auckland, New Zealand. He's looked really awesome there. He's a minus 150 favorite in his first round matchup. So you, you got to pay a little bit of a premium to get his position. But I really like him to win. Uh, Isner minus 115 against Adrian Manorino. Uh, I, honestly, I thought Isner retired last year. So I was kind of surprised to see him in the draw. But Isner owns Manorino. I think it's just Manorino doesn't know how to handle his big serves at all. Isner's 8-1 and one against Manorino. And the one loss was actually a retirement. So he's never been beaten by Manorino in, in eight matches that went to completion. He's never lost. This is essentially, you know, tennis's version of a pick'em. It's It's John Isner minus 115, Manorino minus 110. I like Isner, and then if you're not a tennis guy, the, the key to betting Isner matches, is you, just, you just bet the over. In every Isner match ever, you bet the over on the number of games played because so many of John Isner's sets go to tiebreaker. So he either wins 7-6 or he loses 6-7, but either way, he plays a bunch of match. Uh, he plays a bunch of sets that look like that. You stack up 13 games back to back to back in a set of five, uh, best best of five sets. You're gonna play a lot of games. So I, I the last I saw the number was incredibly high. It was like 42 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the highest uh, total games number for any first round match, men's or women's. Uh, but it just you know, you bet overs on Isner. That's just what you do because he—that's just the style of play he has. He wins six, he wins seven to six, or he loses six to seven. On the women's side, quarter one, I kind of alluded to this. ega or the field? She's minus one ten to win her quarter. Uh, Pamela's absolutely right. There's a health concern here, so you—you you know, betting into the market. Yes, you can buy the best tennis player in the world on the women's side, but she might not be 100%. So you got to factor that in. And I I think when you look at her price, uh, given that she is the number one player in the world, given that she is the reigning U.S. Open champion, she won multiple slam tournaments last year, she should probably be a little bit bigger of a favorite here. So you can look at that one of two ways. Maybe she's priced this way because she is hurt, or you can look at it like, hey, this is a good opportunity to buy low, and I think she's going to play her way through the injury, or she's going to, you know, she's she's going to improve her health as the tournament drags on. Remember, these Grand Slam tournaments go for a full two weeks. You can have a little nagging thing that's bothering you at the start of the tournament, and by the time you're ten days in, you've only played two or three matches, uh, but, but you've kind of played your way past whatever was was ailing you uh, previously. So. I personally am not going to get involved with IGA. I don't want to bet at the top of the market, health concerns. But I recognize that other people might look at this scenario and go, no, no, this is a great opportunity to buy low uh, because, I mean, think about what IGA was in the futures market at the French Open last year. You know, she's like a minus 300 favorite to win the whole thing. So buy low opportunity or damaged goods. You be the judge. Q2, I alluded to this. I didn't go into details. This section is loaded, okay? Three quarter finalists from last year. Jessica Pegula, plus 275. Barbara Krejcikova, plus 550. Madison Keys, plus 550. So you got two Americans there, and then Krejcikova is Czech. And then beyond that, there's Maria Sakari's in this quarter. Uh, Petra Kvitova is in this quarter. Uh, Victoria Azarenka is in this quarter. Amanda Anisimova is in this quarter. Uh, Sofia Kennan's in this quarter. That's a lot of names. Now, I don't know how many of them have form and, you know, fitness and, and, and are playing on their best surface right now. You know, I, I wouldn't probably get involved with somebody like Kennen, for example, even at 16 to 1. But just the, that's a lot of traffic. You know, the the handicap on men's tennis is, well, you don't want to go too far down the table because power is concentrated at the top of the rankings. It's kind of the opposite on the women's side. And, and that's, you know, it ebbs and flows for different major tournaments. The US Open in particular has a history of completely random people winning it. But the women's side, you want to maybe be a little bit more aggressive in taking uh, higher return positions. And so I'm not afraid to look at, you know, uh, and Amanda Anasamova at 14 to 1 to win a quarter like this. The problem is, it's just so much traffic here. I don't really want to get involved because there's there's almost 10 different people that could realistically win this quarter that's really trying to throw a dart at that point. So probably going to lay out and just watch a lot of this quarter. It's going to be an awesome quarter to watch. Don't know if I'm going to bet it. Quarter number three is completely the opposite. It's it's a power vacuum. There's almost nobody here. Caroline Garcia is the favorite at plus one ninety, she's never been past the fourth round in Melbourne. She's only been past the third round once, and I would say she is not playing on her best surface in Melbourne. Like she's not—I wouldn't say she's an awesome hardcourt player. So this is a this is a great quarter if you really want to throw a dart and try to set up some kind of hedge. This is a great quarter to do it. Uh, Alexandrova at sixteen to one. Serana Cerstea, uh twenty-eight to one, maybe even Shui Zhang uh, at uh, at forty to one, wild numbers there. Quarter four, uh, this is maybe the quarter I feel the most secure in what I'm doing, and it's it's not a great return. It's four to one, so it's not nothing, but I feel pretty good about it. And that's Belinda Bencic at four to one plus four hundred to win this quarter. She's on fire right now. Uh, I think I I, I rode her maybe two years ago when she had a similar really hot streak uh, that ran into the first half of a new calendar year. She's 18-7 and in matches since the Tour swung back to hardcourt last August. Uh, She has wins this week over Muguruza, over Anna uh, Kalinskaya, uh, over Caroline Garcia. So she's really playing well right now. She has carried it from last year down to Australia this month. I think she's going to play really, really well. I think she's going to win her quarter, and she's she's going to be a real factor. I think in the overall draw. So I'm also probably going to be taking a position on her in the women's Australian Open futures market. Uh, that price right now is twenty to one for her to win the whole thing. So four to one on Bencic, twenty to one uh, on the whole Bencic, uh lifting the trophy. Four to one just to win her quarter. Still waiting on some of the draw handicaps to come out just because we don't have all the prices yet. Uh, we're just now l- seeing the draw, maybe the last 24 hours, 48 hours, seeing the draw, seeing where the wild cards have been slotted in, seeing the matchups, seeing the qualifiers. So some of these lesser-known players that are you know, maybe playing as a qualifier, those matches haven't been priced yet by the sportsbooks, and so at this time... I haven't handicapped every single first-round match on both the men's side and the women's side. I will get to that. Certainly not by the time you're listening to this podcast, but stay tuned to The Roar, uh, where I am 100% sure I will have predictions articles out this weekend. Uh, I would stay tuned uh, on my Action Network app page. Um, I'm sure any plays that I have, I will log there. Probably uh, talk a bit about it on Twitter as well. So that information will be out there if you want it. It's just not going to make this podcast episode. Let's flip around to the NFL real quick and talk about what plays I am locking in, in order, starting Saturday afternoon, Seahawks 49ers. I'm going to lay out here. I'm watching some sharp action come in this afternoon on Seattle, which generally lines up with my lean on the game as I talked about earlier in the week I leaned towards Seattle that number is now down to nine which is the lowest I think it's been at least that I've seen all week plus nine for the Seahawks at BetMGM I think I'd probably lean under here as well but again these are just leans it's their divisional rivals 49ers defense is really good. They're playing for the third time this year and it's a playoff game. So I lean under given those scenarios. But I am going to lay out here that is at least how I feel right now. Jaguars, Chargers. I am making the Jaguars an official play at this point. I, I was a little worried that I missed my window to bet the Jags because the number kept getting smaller and, and smaller and we were getting closer and closer to a pick Uh At this point... I'm willing to bet the Jags because the number has come back to two and a half, which means I can buy the half point and get it to three. Now, if you only remember one thing from this episode about the NFL playoffs, remember that point spreads aren't that important in the NFL playoffs. Last year, if you recall, when we had a monster streak going on this podcast, we picked so many NFL play like. I don't know how I'm going to top my performance on last year's playoffs because it's, it's almost impossible. I'd have to basically be perfect to do better. The We didn't have a point spread kick into gear in last year's NFL playoffs until the NFC Championship game. So prior to that, either the favorite covered or the underdog won outright. And that's you know, maybe, maybe a slightly extreme outcome, but it's not that extreme because historically that is what we see in the NFL playoffs. Not a lot of point spreads coming into effect. It's either the favorite covers or the underdog wins outright. So I say all that to contextualize the idea that buying a half point with the Jags to get them to plus three isn't necessarily a great historical move. And I would imagine it's probably not a plus EV move either. But it's just something about this Jags team and the side. It makes me want the three. Something about the way Staley coaches and how he, you know, he he, he almost magnetizes toward these key numbers because of how much he likes to go for it. So I want the Jags plus three. And then, of course, I'm also interested in the money line plus 120 outright win for the Jags as well. But just the line movement we saw with the Jags early this week makes me think they're the right side. Um, It's just about the number for me. It's just opening at two and a half and the reverse line movement. I like the Jags. If you asked me to bet the football side of it, I'd probably like the Chargers. But, you know, that's not what we do here any longer. Uh, we're, We're looking at numbers and we're looking at the market and the market says the Jags are the right side. Something I feel a little bit more confident in. Bills, Dolphins. I pretty much nailed this one on Monday, Uh, guys. uh, We didn't know what was going on with Tua. I said, wait for Tua news. Right uh, at the beginning of the week, it was about Bills minus 10.5, Bills minus 11. There was a chance Tua might come back. It seemed pretty unlikely because of all the concussions. And I said, hey, let's make sure he's not going to play. Because if Tua plays and you've got bills minus 11 you might be in trouble but once there's a zero percent chance two is not going to play this number is going to go up to like 13 who cares i'm happy to lay 13 with the bills against Skylar thompson that's exactly what happened and then middle of this week we got the news to definitely wasn't going to play the line went to 13 and i bet bills minus 13 and that's where we're at now probably my favorite bet of the playoff slate If you had to really pin me down to one bet, I'm probably on Bills minus 13. Yes, it's a big number. I don't care. The Bills are going to smoke them. Giants-Vikings, I'm going to lay out, at least for now. I'm interested in the Vikings at 2.5. It feels like we're not going to get there. That might change Sunday, day of the game when we see a flood of action because we're no longer in a pre-flop market. But until then, feels like it's going to be frozen at three, which means I'm not going to get involved. Everybody loves the Giants. Why? <laughs> I and, and maybe it's a play against the Vikings and not a play on the Giants. But this many people liking the Giants, it just makes me a little nervous. So I'm going to lay out here. If I see a Vikings two and a half, I'll buy it. Ravens, Bengals, is, I think, the most interesting game, if not the best game. Um, I I think what's going on here in the point spread market is really fascinating. The Ravens open at 6.5. It's exactly like I laid it out on Monday. They open at 6.5, going back to Cincinnati, where they played last week, even though they spent most of last week as a a 6.5 point dog in Cincinnati, and the Bagels won and covered that number. Just the scenario there. Just the mind games immediately make me think about the Ravens. To me, uh, and I said it Monday, so I've got the receipts on this, six and a half was never a Lamar Jackson number. Six and a half was always an assumed Huntley number. But that number is now up to nine and a half. The Bengals are currently nine and a half point favorites at BetMGM, and it might even go to 10. I wouldn't be shocked if it goes to 10 or even lower before game time on Sunday night. We already had in the market a number that assumed Huntley was playing. Huntley was going to be the guy, in my opinion. We already had a Huntley number at 6.5. But now that Lamar Jackson didn't practice throughout the middle of this week, and there is an increasing amount of weird speculation about what's going on there, now that it seems more and more likely that Huntley's going to play, that number has gone up. People have bet the Bengals. But we already had a market that was accounting for Huntley playing. So really all we've done is created three points of free value on the Ravens, in my opinion. And that's a pretty key three points because you know we didn't go from, I don't know, three and a half to six and a half. Even that would be a pretty, pretty big three points. But to go from six and a half to nine and a half, again, divisional rivals... Just played last week. The Ravens kind of, I mean, I, I know it was, if you look back at it, look at the box score or whatever, it, it finishes a double-digit game. This was a game pretty late in the game. Like, the Ravens were very competitive in this game with their third-string quarterback. Huntley's not perfect, but he's going to run the offense, I think, better than than that, than than what we saw last week, so... The idea that you can get Ravens plus nine and a half here is extremely valuable in the purest sense of the value word. A lot of value has been created on the Baltimore side of this. Now, the two things I would say on behalf of Cincinnati is one, remember what I said earlier in the podcast five or 10 minutes ago about how often the point spread comes into effect. If you think Cincinnati's going to win the game, The history of point spread betting in the NFL playoffs says that you should lay the points with Cincinnati almost regardless of what the point spread is. Number two, what are the Bengals like? 19-4 and against the spread over the last 23 games. It's something like that. I mean, they're really, really covering the number in an absurd clip since they started to go on their run toward the end of the last NFL season of 2021. So if you are standing in the way of the Bengals you are doing something that might feel extremely stupid Sunday night. We might get to midnight here and feel like, boy, have I made a terrible mistake. But the numbers, I feel, are pretty clear here and that the Ravens are a deeply valuable side because of what's happened. And I just, it reminds me a little bit a couple years ago when the Browns played the Steelers in week 17 or 18, I can't remember which one, and the Steelers won the final game of the regular season, locking in their wild card weekend rematch. Everybody came back and bet the Steelers because they just won. They just beat the Browns. Now they're going to play the Browns again in the wild card game. Everybody bets the Steelers again. The Browns trounced them. I don't think the Ravens are going to trounce the Bengals because I'm not sure there are any teams in the NFL that can trounce the Bengals. But they've got real offensive line problems. They've got real defense, defensive problems on almost every level of the defense. Their EPA allowed is in a pretty dangerous zone for a supposed Super Bowl contender. It just feels like everything points to the 9.5 for Baltimore. So that was a long-winded explanation, but I do think there's a lot going on here. It's a really interesting handicap. I was on the Ravens at 6.5. I am definitely doubling down on the Ravens at 9.5. And And if I can buy up a little bit more stock after it goes to 10 or 11 this weekend, I will do that too. I will go down with the ship with the Ravens if the number keeps moving away from them. Finally, Monday night football. Cowboys at Buccaneers. I'll have a play here as well. I am on Dallas minus the 2.5. This is another scenario that I laid out on Monday. I like the idea that everybody's on Tampa. Admittedly, Tampa will probably be at their healthiest and wholest in this game that they have been all year, but this is still an aging post-championship roster that's not coached very well and has a 46-year-old quarterback who just, I get that it's Tom Brady, I I get that people are nervous about betting against Tom Brady in the playoffs. Brady has not been good this year. And you can't just say it's all coaching or it's all roster. It's all injury. He doesn't have any time. His offensive line is, you know, Swiss cheese. Some of that might be true, but he just hasn't been that good this year. And I think people are afraid to say that because the longevity of Brady's career and the swollen trophy case of Brady's career have made it very hard to criticize him. But he hasn't been very good. He's made really great plays in extremely narrow, high leverage situations and has pulled a bunch of wins out of his ass. But if Dallas can get their shit right, and I grant you that that is an if, but if Dallas can get their shit right, we know the best unit on the field is the Dallas Cowboys defense. I think Mike Parsons is going to show up to play in this game. I think Dak Prescott will probably make a couple of dumb mistakes because that's what he's done all year. But I trust the Cowboys' offense a little bit more than the Tampa offense. I trust the Cowboys' methodology more. Can't believe I'm saying this, but I trust the Cowboys' coaching staff more. I like the Cowboys. I like that it's a contrarian favorite. And I like that I now get them at two and a half instead of three. The Cowboys are a buy for me. I will stress here... That we don't need to bet every game. I actually think it's kind of crazy that I've, I just talked through four bets. It's a six-game card. Would you bet 70% of the games on a normal NFL weekend? Probably not. So do you need to bet every single game this weekend? I don't think so. I would say it's unwise. Pamela talked about discipline. It's a huge component in betting. You don't need to bet every single game. Pick a couple that you like. I am in the business of talking through picks, so to some degree it's my job to come on this podcast and provide you with some looks on games. If I didn't have this podcast, if I was just doing my thing, I don't know if I'd bet four games this weekend. I think I'd probably bet the Ravens and the Bills, and I might leave the Cowboys... And the Jags on the sideline. Uh, But those are my looks for NFL playoff weekend. Those are the four games that I have at least strong enough feelings uh, about to talk through here. Let me know what you guys are betting this weekend. I know I don't always say that. And and frankly, I don't always want to hear what everybody's betting. There's a lot of you guys and I can only process so much information at once. But it's Wild Card Weekend. There's only six games on the slate. So let me know what you guys like. We'll talk it through. Of course, hit the social pages, uh, Lions Edge Podcast and Chase A. Kitty uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and the podcast has a TikTok page as well. Of course, make sure you visit The Roar, which is the BetMGM blog, for all kinds of good odds and content on the NFL playoffs, on the Australian Open, and more Uh, We've got lots of good stuff coming on the blog, including Massachusetts-specific content. We're getting ready to uh, launch BetMGM in Massachusetts, so that's fun as well. Whatever you're betting this weekend, good luck with those bets. Thanks again to Pamela Maldonado of Yahoo Sportsbook for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next week for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and some more Australian Open. Good luck with your bets. Until then...